So the stories about the birth of Jesus are not just kind of there as kind of great introductions to the cross of Jesus. You know, kind of the life, the, the birth and the life of Jesus are not the kind of intros to the real stuff, which is the three chapters or four chapters in the Gospels on, thank you, Dorney, um, on the, birth, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. They're all absolutely powerful. So what I want to do is I want to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. And I want to read it, and it's the story about the shepherds and uh, the proclamation of the gospel. Do you know who the, where the gospel was proclaimed first to? The first people to hear the gospel were shepherds. And um, it's actually very interesting to see, and we're going to learn some things from the shepherds and what we can learn from these few verses. It's so powerful. Scripture is so rich. I really do want to encourage you, if you're going away and you're going on leave and you're wanting to rest, spend some time time in the Scriptures. They will encourage you. They will strengthen you. And um, the Scriptures are those things that you kind of, if you you put them into your life, when the the Bible says that the Holy Spirit's given to us to remind us of all truth. But we've got to have some truth in us so that we can be reminded. And the Scriptures are those things that ground truth in us so that the Holy Spirit can begin to work and talk and guide us and direct us. And so they're very powerful and very important parts of our lives to be in the Scriptures. Anyway, so Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. It's quite a few verses, but um, I think it's worth it to read it. It says this, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. that a a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, whatever his name is, was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Bethlehem was about six k's outside of Jerusalem. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there because he was part of David's lineage. Because they had to register in their own town. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Big skunder, big embarrassment. She's pregnant. He doesn't know what's happened. She is like overwhelmed at seeing an angel and being pregnant. And, but yet he's got this incredible character to be able to walk that journey. I actually preached about that last year Christmas, but anyway. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Shepherds looking after sheep. The heavens open up, an angel appears, bright light, starts talking to them. I mean, I bet they're scared. I mean, I think I would have been flat on the floor. Um, Powerful encounter with God. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I'll bring you good news. There's the good news. There's the, 
the evangelism, there's the evangelion, is the word good news. It's the word that was used to, it wasn't used as a theological word, as a, as a Christian word in those days. It was any good news. There was a good message coming. And they said, well, I've got good news for you. I've got good, that's, I've got the gospel for you, which is where we get our word gospel from, good news. Of great joy, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Thank God it's for all people. Thank God this message is for every single one of us. Even before we, for every single person on the earth, this message is for every single person. Not every single person will receive it. Not every single person will believe it. Not every single person will put their trust and their faith in Jesus. But this message is for every single person. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. Now that he's telling them the gospel. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The defining feature of this, this boy was not cloths because all babies were wrapped in cloths. The defining feature of finding this boy, the, the person, that, this baby that you would find, he'd be lying in a, in a feeding trough of an animal. Suddenly a great company of heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone to, into heaven, amazing, huh? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, what we've got to start to realize is heaven is not a place that is kind of like going to Maritzburg, like it's over there and then we here. Heaven is right, is an invisible space that is right here. And one day when Jesus returns, heaven and earth will come back together and it will not be so distant. That's what we've got to look forward to. But it's amazing when they say they left them and they went into heaven. It's like they just suddenly disappeared again. The invisible realm moved from the visible back into the invisible straight away. And it's a bit of a mind bender for the Western mind that wants to measure everything and touch everything and prove everything. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Mary then treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. Imagine how encouraged Mary must have been to receive the shepherds. She's going out on a limb. She's, listen, she's encountered an angel. She's become pregnant without sleeping with anybody. And um, so she's had some encounters with God. Imagine when now the shepherds come and then in Matthew, the, 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 the magicians come from the east and they come and they're all acknowledging this child that she's believing is the Savior, is the Messiah. She treasured them in her heart and, and pondered them in, in her heart. Imagine just a mom. Imagine you and Mary. How, how, what is this for my boy? What is my boy going to have to go through? But all these encouragements are coming along the way to help her in her journey and to help her be a good parent and a good mom to Jesus as he's growing up. Remember, he's a person that grew up, that went to the toilet, whose breath smells, and this is Jesus, the real person. He had to learn, had to be corrected. Um, anyway, carries on. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for the things that they had seen, 
heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So that's the story of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. What can we see here? What can we learn here? The first thing is this. The Christmas story is actually a contrast between two kings. And it starts off with, in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, In those days Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And then verse 8, we start to find that and going on is that there's a new king. There's a baby king being born. So this is a story about a, the contrasting two kings. This Christmas story is a contrast between two kings, between the true king and Augustus Caesar, who is the human king. And uh, we've got to know this about Caesar, Augustus, and even the words that we kind of look at, quite spiritual words and spiritualize, and we, we kind of take them as Bible words, actually were words that were used in the day. So, for example, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. Just some history for you. Augustus turned the great Roman Republic into an empire of which he himself was the head. So this is Augustus, which we're talking about. He proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the whole world. Sounding familiar? It's a contrast between two kings. He declared his adoptive father as being a god and so made himself the son of a god. Augustus, people said, was the savior of the world. Augustus was king or lord. And increasingly people worshipped him as God. He was held savior and lord of all. Amazing, eh? So that's the history part of it. That's what, that's what the Caesars saw themselves as. And it's incredible that he was praised for having brought about worldwide peace. This was Caesar. However, in contrast, a little baby boy from very humble beginnings of very little means was born in an animal trough, feeding trough, but was the true king. And he would grow for 30 years. And in 30 years, in a short space of time, he would begin his ministry, and for three years he would minister. He would die on the cross, be raised from the dead, and change the world forever as the true king. This is a story about two kings that contrast two kings. It's quite amazing how we even have a heavenly choir singing over the King Jesus. In, in, in Caesar's day, in Augustus's day, there'd be earthly choirs that would sing over and worship the emperor. It's a complete contrast between these two kings. That's the Christmas day. This, this is a contrast. What that means for us, however, is that we as believers are to live attractive lives of contrast with the world. We are a contrast people. We are to live, the, and, and we contrast the way we live, the way we love, the way we work, the way we hope, the way we forgive, the way we, we live our lives, the way our morality, our, our, the way we care, the way we are generous, are all contrasting realities that show the world that I don't worship Caesar I worship Jesus. Our humility is a mark 
of our contrast as a people. And what we start to realize from this is that we are called to be a contrast people. We're not to be the same as the world. We're to contrast. We're to bring out the contrast between the world and the kingdom of God. And we are those people. By the way, it's amazing to see how the true God uses even the so-called God to set up a census at exactly the right time, at exactly the right place, so that every prophetic word of the Old Testament written for thousands of years can be set up at exactly the right time. You see, the true God is not at the hand, is not at the whim of Caesar Augustus. The true God sets things up and uses Caesar Augustus to accomplish his, his purposes. Friends, we watch too many movies around, what's it, um, conspiracy theories. I tell you what, friends, the God that we worship is above every conspiracy theory that could ever exist. And God uses every single person, no matter how clever or thoughtful they th or powerful they think they are, God is infinitely more powerful and orchestrates things for His purpose and His glory. Let's not get into conspiracy theories over Christmas time. Let's get into the nativity conspiracy theory of Jesus is king and he is with us. And he will use Augustus and do, let him do his whim even though people are worshiping and thinking he's God. That's point number one. We're a contrast people. My second point is this. Christmas is a story that comes to ordinary people. The birth of Jesus, this was a message to ordinary people. The shepherd's friends were very much ordinary people. The rabbis considered the shepherds to be religious outcasts of the day. And their testimony, in fact, their testimony was not admissible in court. They were like lowly people. They were disregarded people. They weren't allowed to be in the temple courts because they were unclean. Their job and the continual... Um, uh, their, their job made them unclean and they could never become clean again because they could, the sheep were constantly needing attention and you couldn't leave the sheep for long enough for you to make yourself clean to get back into the temple. So these were people where the demands of their, these were ordinary people where the demands of their ordinary job stopped them from going to God. Could that be you and me? The good news is this, is that God came to them. That's the Christmas story. God comes to us. God comes to us in our ordinariness, in our ordinary jobs, even when we think we're not doing well, and even when we think, how can I do more, and I wish I could do more, and I haven't got time, and Lord, please, I wish I could give more, but I haven't got money. God comes to us in our ordinariness, friends, and meets with us. It is said because of the proximity of this moment to where Jerusalem was, Scholars have suggested that the flocks were actually the sheep, were the temple sheep that were going to be sacrificed and slaughtered. So they would rear these sheep and then they would go into the sacrificial system of which they weren't allowed to participate in because they were unclean. Isn't it incredible? God comes to these ordinary shepherds and they, begin, they see not just the lamb that is the substitute, they see the lamb of God and they touch the lamb of God. How holy can that be? They were the first to see the Lamb of God, not the sheep of God. God comes to ordinary people, friends. Never, ever, ever, ever think, if we are Christmas people, 
If we celebrate Christmas, nothing about us is ordinary, even though it is ordinary. Everything about what God has for us is extraordinary. And if you can't get to him, he'll get to you. And make sure you keep coming back to him. Number three. Number two is Christmas is for ordinary people. Number three, Christmas tells a story and reminds us that we've got to be process people. What do I mean by that? Friends, we've got to learn, and we've, we've learned this over the last few weeks as different people have preached, that we've got to learn to journey with God. You see, we celebrate the moment of Christmas, the moment which is Jesus the baby, but it took a 30-year process to get him ready for his ministry, and then a three-year ministry, and then a death and a burial. It's a process. It took time. And Christmas reminds us, when we look at the baby Jesus in the manger, it reminds us that God's got us in process. Things don't just happen straight away all the time. We trust God for moments of breakthrough, and we trust God for moments of miraculous and all those things. But friends, most of our lives is process in God, learning to walk hand in hand with Jesus, knowing that he takes him from a baby to a boy in the temple with a mom and a dad, and somewhere along the line his dad dies, and somewhere along the line they have other children, he has other brothers and sisters, and you keep going and he keeps learning, and he keeps learning, and he keeps learning, and then eventually he realizes he himself am the Messiah, and he gets baptized, and the Spirit of God comes upon him and he starts his ministry. It's a process. What Christmas, when we see the nativity scene, friends, it must remind us that we are process people. We walk with God and we allow him to guide us and teach us and walk with us. The fourth thing is this. Christmas makes us good news people. Makes us gospel people. I find it intriguing in this story. I think there's two responses to the heavenly realm opening up. Either we frightened like them, that we have to be told, don't be scared. Or, like many Western thinking people, we completely ignore the spiritual realm and we don't think there is one. Come on, you guys are talking nonsense, hocus pocus. It's amazing that it talks here about a heavenly host that's our army. So the angel comes and proclaims the gospel. And the next thing, the heavenly host appears. A whole army, a whole, I don't know how many there must have been, but it's an army. The language there is military. It's the military of heaven appears. It's almost like the angel proclaims the gospel and the rest of heaven cannot help themselves. They've just got to get out there and say, guys, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to all men who are favored by him. It's like, they can't just, it's like they can't contain themselves in heaven. They've got to just declare it on earth as well. Friends, you don't understand the power that we have in Jesus. We do not understand the resource that we have in heaven when we pray, when we walk, when we believe, when we trust, when we have hope. We have such significant resource in heaven. Christmas reminds us of the good news of that. And their thing is this, don't be afraid. This is a moment of great joy. These armies, as they appear, are not against you. They're for you. You see, this is a king. He may look humble, 
He may look like he's born in a manger. He may look like he's born without position, without power, and without an army. But don't forget the army of this king. It's there. When he speaks, the armies move. Christmas, Christmas, friends, when we see baby Jesus, don't forget the power and the position and the army that he commands in the midst of COVID, in the midst of whatever we're going through. And the good news is this. A savior, another word there, is a deliverer has been born to you. It's amazing. He says this is a message for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. We celebrate the fact that a Savior, a deliverer, not just a Savior that He took you from, from one place and put you in another, or we kind of got these visions of what a Savior could be. He is a deliverer. He is a king. He is a general. He delivers. He saves. It's an incredibly powerful image. And it says, he is Christ. That is the Greek for the anointed one. Or the, the, the Hebrew or Aramaic of that would be the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the anointed one. He is the one that has been set apart, that heaven over millennia has set him apart for this moment and this time to reveal himself and to begin to command the armies of heaven. And he's going to have 33 years of process for that to happen. The heavenly armies start to respond. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth on whom his favor rests. As other translations say, on whom, with whom he is pleased. Glory to God on the highest and peace on earth to men with whom he is pleased. The King James Version, you might know this because we sing it in some of the Christmas carols, say this, peace, peace, uh, to, uh, peace and goodwill to all men. You know that kind of version of it. The problem with that, that translation is it theologically kind of messes up the, 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 what most of the translations say. It kind of makes it sound like um, that it's not, this is not a text for God's favor on all people. That's not what it's saying. Jesus, Jesus, that text doesn't say glory to God in the highest and goodwill to all men. It's like, he says this, the specific wording of it is glory to God in the highest, peace on men on those that find favor in God, on those with whom he is pleased. You see, friends, this peace, this good news is available to all people, but it's not going to be for all people. It's only going to be for those that believe. And that's what the heavenly armies begin to declare. <laughs> the offer of peace are to those that acknowledge Jesus as king and God's love for all. Sorry. And it's the offer of peace to those who acknowledge Jesus as king and take their place in his kingdom. That's what peace is for. That's what this peace is. This is the gospel. Those that put your faith in Jesus even in the baby boy. Put your faith in him. Peace like you will never know from anywhere else fills you. Peace with God, the peace of God, and peace with people 
become a fruit of that kingdom reality. This is the good news of the gospel. Friends, Christmas makes us a good news people. Number five, just about done. Christmas people are kingdom people. It's quite interesting. I found this out. I never knew this. When it says today, it says there in verse 11, today in the town of David. That word today occurs 11 times in Luke and nine times in Acts. And it signifies the dawning of an era of messianic salvation and the fulfillment of a plan. It's like whenever it's used, it's used of there's a new thing beginning. There's like a dawning. Things have changed. Things have shifted. It's like today. It's like a big moment in God. It's like there's a new beginning. And what it's signifying is that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. The king has arrived and his kingdom has been inaugurated. And you see, friends, what that does for us is that we need to become the disciples' prayer. You know what that is? We, we say it's the Lord's prayer, but it's actually the, the prayer that he taught the disciples to say. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how we pray. That's how we live. So we live kingdom to earth lives. We kingdom people. We're Isaiah 61 people. Isaiah 61 is this, actually preaching about it next week and on the third. It's the beautiful text of the anointed one, Jesus. It describes everything that Jesus has done. He's come to rescue those from darkness, set those that are oppressed. He gives a, a crown of, of beauty and he gives oil of joy and he, he kind of does all these things, this incredible picture of what Jesus has done. That's what he's done. And then he says of his people, he says, and they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, a display of, for his splendor. And they, he, they go on to, he goes on to say, we rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated. And they will renew ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And you will be called priests of the Lord and be named ministers of our God. You see, we are kingdom people, friends. The kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. Today, things have shifted. Never ever to be the same again. The fact that the stars realigned, that people could see everything, the cosmos shook as Jesus was born and his ministry was inaugurated and eventually he died and rose again, friends. We are kingdom people. We are priests and we are ministers of God and we are called to restore, to renew, and to rebuild places long devastated because of what Jesus has done. When we look at the baby Jesus, you've got to see yourself as a rebuilder. How are we rebuilding? How is 2021 going to be a rebuilding year for you? Renewing, restoring year, because we've been given every resource to do that. And lastly, sixthly, number six, Christmas people are instinctively going and witnessing people. I love the fact that these shepherds, these shepherds, they were told who? The Messiah, the Christ, by the angel. They were told where? In the city of David, Bethlehem. They were told there was a sign. He was wrapped in a cloth and he'd be in a, in, a, in a feeding trough. 
but he never tells them to go. It is their curiosity. Look what it says. It says there, it says, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened so that the Lord told us about. It's amazing. Like the angels never say you must go and find him. They just say, this guy's been born to you. They just go. They're curious. They're hungry. They are people that are on the go. They're wanting to move. They've got this great message. They've got this unbelievable revelation. Something's happened to them. They can feel there's something shifted around this. And so they start to go. And they become the first carriers, human carriers of the gospel as the shepherds. You see, for people that have encountered God, Christmas shows us, Christmas shows us that it is our intuitive, instinctive behavior to tell people about this amazing king we serve because he's changed our lives and he's changed the world. Friends, let's learn some lessons from the shepherds. One, that we to be a people of contrast. Two, that God meets with ordinary and uses ordinary people. Three, that actually process is part of our walk with God. Four, Christmas makes us good news people, gospel people. We share the good news and the, and the heavens start to rejoice when the gospel gets preached. It starts to move, just like the armies popped out. <laughs> Number five, Christmas makes us kingdom people. And number six, Christmas makes us people who are instinctively going, witnessing, and taking this message out and declaring it with our words and living it with our lives so that people can ask the right questions. Who is your king? Take me to him. And Jesus is the answer. My prayer, friends, is that we would be marked by the Christmas story over these next few days with the hope that the season brings, with the commissioning nature of the birth of a king rather than COVID-19. My prayer is that this story would shape our lives and this is the story we take to our families over this time. And in the midst of so much sorrow, death, fear, uncertainty, we celebrate the birth of the king of kings today, the anointed one, the deliverer, those whose purposes will prevail. A savior has been born. Let's trust in his good work. That's what the Christmas story says to us, friends. What an absolute joy. What a privilege. And if you don't know this king, if you don't know this king, you need to give your life to this king. You need to see him as king. Make him king of your life and call on his name. And he will save you and he will deliver you and he will set you free. Father, I thank you for your goodness in our lives, Lord. You are good, you are powerful, you are humble. Father, I pray when we see the baby in a manger, we would understand the resource of heaven that he commands. Father, I don't know what you're doing in this, these days of pandemics. I know you're deepening our relationship. I know you're wanting us to step in faith. I know, I know there's some things that, we, that, we, that you're drawing us into, Lord God, but I don't know. We don't know your master plan. All I know is that if you can move Caesar for exactly the right time, exactly the right place, you can have a plan that's bigger than what we can conceive, Lord. And we rest in that tonight, Lord. 
We rest in that tonight. In your amazing, amazing name. I pray for incredible times with family, even if it's a distance. I pray, Father, for, yeah, just the togetherness would strengthen, encourage people, friends getting together, family getting together. Father, keep us safe. Keep us safe, Father, over this time. I pray for every single person that calls this place home. Father, protect this church, Lord. Protect your people, Lord God. Protect the city, Lord God, from the sickness, Lord God, in your amazing name. And more than that, Lord God, we celebrate your name, Jesus, over this time. Bless you and amen. Amen.